Lord, we recognize that one day the earth and everything on it is going to be, as the song says, dissolved like snow. Lord, everything that we, everything that we have that's physical on this earth is going to pass. The only thing we're going to take with us are relationships. And the one primary one with you, and you've promised good. You've given us your word and your spirit. We pray that these things are where our hope will reside. In your son, Jesus Christ. And through the power of his name, we live. We give you praise. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. So on Valentine's, it was Valentine's Day in in 1973, uh, the Army sent me to Fort Wainwright, Alaska. So I'm a Texas, Georgia boy, and I think I'd seen snow once or twice, never stayed for more than a few hours. It was cold when I got there. But it wasn't just that. It was, to say that I was a troubled young man would be an understatement. But through a friend, I began attending Denali Bible Chapel and its young adult group. And so within the year, uh, that friend had become very close. He'd led me to Christ as my Savior. The leader of the young adult group <clears throat> was a man named Paul Sauer. He was three years older than me. Uh, we played on the same softball team, as I recollect. We even won a few, uh, not just games, but some championships as well. And Fairbanks is small, so it wasn't that I was that good. He was pretty good, though. He went off to Wheaton College and started a contracting company. And I designed, from my graphic arts in uh, design background, 11 homes, and he built scores of them all around uh, Fairbanks. And additionally, Myron, my, my friend and I, uh, we painted and roofed those houses. And we even developed a, a unique color. It was blue. We called it Tillrich Blue, taken from the first part of our last names, Tillery and Richardson. And we said that we were going to work until we were rich. So that didn't work, but we were, that young adults group was, uh, as they say, uh, thick as thieves, which is an old French expression that means we shared most things uh, together. Even Barb was in on this, not just with the young adults group, but, uh, but Paul was, uh, and Barb were birthday twins, different years, but same day, April 19th. Our children grew up in many ways uh, together. They certainly spent uh, several years. But as things go, as time goes by, the group, I wouldn't say disbanded, but it just it's just the way of life. People move, people change, and they go their, their own ways. And some of us lost contact entirely, and, uh, but some did not. And so through the years with Paul, we maintained our contact visiting with them uh, several times. He returned to graduate school in his uh, 60s, 
uh, to become a licensed counselor. Who would do that? We, we always shared an interest in psychology. We would talk about it often. In fact, the last time I spoke with Paul was uh, just a few weeks before he died. Uh, he, we spent about an hour on the phone talking about the past and the present and the future. And uh, we ended the call with the promise of, let's do this again soon. After all, we, we have time. But on May the 15th, after delivering a Christian homeschool commencement address while departing the stage, Paul suffered a heart attack that took his life before he could speak another word. Karen, his daughter, wrote shortly after that, on Sunday, May 15th at approximately 8.15 p.m., the absolute greatest, kindest, and godliest man I have and will ever know graduated from his earthly body and met his Lord and Savior. Karen's words were not idle words. Paul left many examples of why her words ring true of him, especially for those who knew him. And I trust that all of you know or have known someone of that caliber. Men and women who you have been blessed to know and who you fondly remember. My friend Paul's life was like a piece of art for others to appreciate. He exemplified Francis Schaeffer's words when he said, No work of art is more important than the Christian's own life. And every Christian is cared upon to be an artist in this sense. The Christian's life is to be a thing of truth and beauty in the midst of a lost and despairing world. And that is the work of art that we want to create. That's the example. The Apostle Paul wants Timothy to know how to be an example of all the beauty that Christ offers. We have little, we have nothing to say about the hour of our death, but we have a great deal to say about how we live our life. So why introduce this sermon with my friend Paul? Two primary reasons. First, Paul, my friend, spoke to the graduating class from these texts in Timothy. And second, the words of the Apostle Paul himself tell Timothy to be an example, of which my friend Paul was an exemplar. Turn with me, if you will, to chapter 4 as we will continue through our study in Timothy, looking at verses 11 through 16. First Timothy 4, 11 through 16, the Apostle Paul wrote, Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, 
but set the believers as an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the, gl- the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. The Apostle Paul gave Timothy this overwhelmingly difficult challenge that he had. He was to go to Ephesus and put things in order there. (laughs) How would you like that job? Your job is to go to the church down the street and put it in order. (laughs) Wow, what a job. It's not easy when you have all the advantages, when you have the training and the skill and the experience and when they want you there to do that. Timothy wasn't even in... He was an elder by office, but he was not an elder by age. In that time, you had to be a minimum of 40 years old before you could do such things. And not only that, think about this. Paul sent Timothy to a church that Paul taught at, where Paul appointed these men as elders, where some of these men had wept on Paul when he left. Timothy, go straighten those guys out. (laughs) What a challenge. But you have here, in uh, going back to chapter 1 and verse 3, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to occupy themselves with myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the divine training that is in the faith. So Paul made it clear to Timothy that he was to correct some uh, things that were happening in the church. So our translation, perhaps yours says this, perhaps not. There are so many today that I, uh, I, just, I don't really go into detail on any of those. You'll have noticed that, but I'm just stating that out loud because there are so many translations that it's just difficult to, to keep up and say, well, one says this and another says this. If I did that, I would be here all day. But our translation says... In the ESV, command and teach these things. Now that first term has gotten a lot of people in trouble in in difficulty in ministry, young or old. Because if you take it that way that it's stated, one would believe that it is an elder, uh, elder's role or a pastor teacher's role to command. (laughs) No, that's not what it is. But, unfortunately, people take that, uh, particularly immature people. Ogden Nash, the poet, wrote, You are only young once, but you can stay immature indefinitely. 
Immature people especially love this word command. Uh, And yet, that's not what Paul is saying to Timothy at all. Paul does not indicate that Timothy should be disrespectful or adopt an authoritarian or an autocratic leadership style. Not at all. And while the word command is in the semantic range, it's really, I think, tradition that forces us to stay there. What the word actually means is not to command, but it's to proclaim. It's to announce. We, we talked a little bit about this last week with a different word, where the word that we spoke of was to undergird, right? You're not running around telling people what to do in the church. That has never been the case. Biblically speaking, that's not the way it works. It's a far cry uh, from uh, lording it over others by commanding them. I mean, Paul tells this to Timothy when he says to entreat uh, older men as like like they're your father. And women like they're your, your mother, right? He's not running around telling people what to do. Uh, there are, though, in fact, two things that the Apostle Paul does tell him to do. And that is, in, in English at least, they're rhyming words, let and set. Let no one despise your youth, but set a good example before them. So let's dwell here for, for just a moment. When Paul says... Let no one despise your youth. He does not mean that Timothy is to go around sanctioning people who he believes are despising his youth. That's not what this is about. He's not to go around taking issue with people who don't like him because he is young. Guess what? I'm about to issue a profundity in your hearing. You have no control over what somebody else thinks about you. Zero. Nada. Doesn't happen. We don't have any power at all. This word let, let no one, gives us this notion that Paul is saying, listen, this is because let is uh, permissive. Let me do this. Uh, okay. No, that's not what Paul is saying here. What he's saying is, Something else entirely. You know, what are you going to do if somebody says you're too young? Are you going to write a a harsh email to them? What are you going to do? Exercise church discipline? What power do you have? Shun them? Some people try to do that. We have no control at all over others' uh, thoughts. And so this message, and Paul knew that. So this message was not intended for how he was to respond to those who felt this way, this message was intended for Timothy himself. It was Timothy's job not to see that others didn't despise his youth, as if he had something to say about that, but rather he was to set an example by being unself-conscious about his youth. Now, There's a very important lesson here, which I I hope to make clear. It's a lesson that if you've been in the military, you know, even if you don't know, you know it. And because it's taught there faster and more profoundly than any other place. 
and it requires this understanding of what Paul is telling Timothy, and that is this. There is a fundamental difference between authority and seniority. If you don't get that, you don't function well in the military. Because I tell you what, you pop out of uh, ROTC, a 21 or 22-year-old lieutenant, you have, in certain contexts, command authority. And yes, indeed, an enlisted person uh, will uh, render a salute, which you uh, will return. But let me clue you in on a little-known thing here. Uh, and that is across the services, and again, it is little known, even by the officer corps, it's known to senior enlisted folks, and that is this. Senior enlisted folks are required by regulation to mentor junior officers. That's one, twos, and threes. So while that grizzled 40-year-old E-9 might initiate a salute, that lieutenant better listen to every word that man has to say. Okay, because seniority does mean something. But there is a difference between those two things. I suppose, to look at this the opposite way, uh, something uh, close to that, uh, to Timothy's problem, would be an, an older person thinking that they're entitled to leadership simply because they've been around the longest. Um, one more word here. Authority doesn't have to do, as I mentioned, with the military. It doesn't have to do with age. What did it rest on? What did Timothy's... You know, Timothy, now I don't know, and I don't speculate very much. I just I don't think that that's a helpful road to go down. But some preachers will tell you that Timothy was Mr. Milk toast, timid, and all this and, and that. They know all about Timothy. What I know is that Timothy spent 15 years with the Apostle Paul, running around uh, Asia Minor and all over the place, and so he was seasoned. Anyway, that's my take on this. His authority didn't come from his personality. His authority didn't come from the fact that he was a leader of men as such. Some people spring up like that, and you follow them, and you say, why do you follow that guy? And you go, I don't know. You, you know, they just, some people are just leaders, and people follow leaders. Why? We don't know. This isn't about that kind of leadership. This is about the kind of leadership that Timothy received from the Apostle Paul and a laying on of hands by the elders in what his authority was to act in the name of Jesus Christ. His authority was conferred on him by an external source. He did not take it unto himself. It was an authority that he had because it was given to him. Him. He may not even have wanted it. I don't know. Sometimes there's authority given to us that we don't want. Those of you who have experienced that know what I'm talking about. But his example in how he lived the authority out in his life was in two areas speech and conduct. 
So essentially, if you want to boil this all the way down, it's, it's walk the talk. So that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, listen, Timothy, in your speech and in your conduct that need to be characterized by three things, love, faithfulness, and purity. And those are the things, in fact, that should represent everyone in ministry. So what were the primary words and deeds that Timothy was to engage in. And it's just here in verses 13 through 16, we're invited to take a peek into how the Apostle Paul thought about public ministry and what that should look like. We're, in a way, even... I don't think they had pulpits as such back then, but they had something like that where the person would would speak, we're invited to see what he looks like at inside the pulpit ministry, what lies behind it, what is this, what does he want to be done. In verse 13, he says, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and to teaching. Oh, by the way, if you want to know the difference between preaching and teaching, at least here in this text, it, exhortation is preaching, and then teaching is a more analytical uh, look at the, at the word. Both have their place, both are valuable, but that's what those two things are to be present, the re, uh, three, reading, exhortation, and teaching. Timothy's public ministry should include reading, preaching, and teaching of the Word of God. Regardless of which one of those we're we're talking about, the centrality is on Scripture. Timothy was to read the Scripture, and he was to preach, and he was to teach. And all of this, of course, focuses on the Word of God. Now, the reading of Scripture as a part of public ministry is, I think, kind of fallen on hard times. But I want you to, and I don't know if I've mentioned this before or not, but it's something that's near my heart all the time, and that is this. The only time that I say anything that's inspired from this pulpit is when I read the Scripture. The reading of the Scripture, it's a what? We know that it is a sword, a two-edged sword. And you know what? It doesn't matter what I say or what I think about it. The Word of God on its own has the power to change lives. Read simply. We know here that uh, we're to do something else as well from other texts that we're to break bread. And I want you to think in terms of what you've experienced if you've been here for the breaking of bread and through this. I trust that you're experiencing not an echo of this, but an obedience to this through 2,000 years of church history. We're doing and have done today what the Lord has asked of us. And then Paul gives us three steps that may be a part of a process, that may be a stretch to say that, but certainly it's, it's connected. Because he says in verse 14, 
do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Now, your version may say presbytery. What is a presbytery? It's the council of elders. So, just so that you'll know, it's not some invention that some denomination has entitled something. It's, that's what it means. It means a group of elders gathered around, laid their hands, and that's when he received his gift. Now, Paul referred to this gift or in the past already. He's going to do it again later in 2 Timothy when he says, rekindle the gift of God that is within you. Uh, I would hate for my mentor uh, to call me up and say, Hey, dude, I was, I've been watching your sermons. You need to rekindle your gift, buddy. And it's like, ouch. So I don't know what Timothy felt about that, but Paul obviously saw something that he needed to mention to Timothy. But we're not there yet. Here's where we're at. All believers, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, at the moment of your salvation... You were given a divinely appointed spiritual gift, not for you, not for the church universal, but for the body where you serve. You were given a gift, 1 Corinthians 7, 7 tells us, each one of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. So when we read this in Timothy, we say, oh, he's talking to elders or he's talking to leaders in the church. He's talking to ministers. Uh, Who's that? Okay, I'll use a different word. He's talking to priests. Oh, my goodness. Let's put it in a little ecclesiastical language. Who's that? Do you know Jesus Christ? You are, in fact, a believer priest. You are a minister. He's talking about these things are important for all of us. He gave you a gift specifically empowered by the Holy Spirit and he placed you where you are. You think you came here. (laughs) God placed you here. He wants you to function using that gift because no gift is for the individual. It's always for the body. Paul argues that Timothy, having been given this gift and experience in it, whatever it was, was to use it. And, uh, and that provides a particular personal impact on, on the ministry. We have that here. I wish I could go through everything, and perhaps uh, one day we should if we had a, you know, I wouldn't even want to call it a volunteer uh, service or something, but kind of a ministry impact things. But I'll just mention a few things because we have wonderful examples here, right here at First Colony. I'm going to just point out a few of the men who are gifted in different ways who share from this uh, platform. Haven has a gift of uh, analyzing and and utilizing an inductive approach in his the way that he operates. Uh, John, he has a a down-to-earth authenticity, which is something that we we seek. Ken brings not just biblical exposition, but a, a kind and a humorous pulpit presence. 
such that he's able to handle delicate issues with ease. Dan has a gift that I covet, and that is he's able to synthesize. That is, he's, he's able to put a scripture from here and a scripture from there that don't seem to be related at all, that are, in fact, inextricably woven together. Daniel has a gift of metaphor. You do, brother. Just this morning when you're, you're talking, you know, you, you listed probably six or eight right in a row. You may not, you, it's a gift. You may not even be aware of it. But you paint with these brilliant colors. You bring pictures into focus with Christ at the center. And J.R. has this ability to systematize. I, stuff you did on work, uh, putting it in that uh, logical and not just logical, but that the order where you go, I get that. I didn't get that before. I get that now. These gifts are unique. They're here. And because they're different, we are blessed by them. We all benefit. Use the gift. The second thing Paul says is to prepare thoroughly. (laughs) Practice, devote. These words are, we're back in the arena now. We're back in the gym. It takes hours of thorough preparation to, to give a message on a Sunday morning. The men I just mentioned to you and any of you who have prepared Scripture to teach to men, to women, to children, you know that it takes a great deal of time. Well, how much time? You know, it's like asking a, a, a fisherman, how long does it take to catch a fish? <laughs> as, as long as it takes, you know. Paul knew that when he told Timothy to do this, he knew that you don't just get up and preach. It's not a matter of just standing up and sharing a few things off the top of your head. It's not about what you put together Saturday night, and God forbid it's not about what you put together Sunday morning. Now, there are contexts where God, uh, through His Holy Spirit, will give you the words that you need to say. But guess what? That's rarely here now, except for there is a dialogue, but what that's primarily talking about is when you're before someone who's ready to skin your hide. I hadn't thought about that. No. So, as a matter of thoughtful preparation, still it's evident when you see a message like that, that it is shallow and that it is superficial. A well-constructed message represents a respect for the Scripture because it is an analysis of an entering into the living Word of God. The third thing the Apostle says is to keep it personal. Take heed to yourself and to your teaching. Hold to that, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. So there's a profound life statement here that I've mentioned before. It's it's common sense, but it's amazing how we somehow don't see it in our own lives. 
And that is you cannot give what you do not have. You cannot give what you do not possess. And uh, I hear, have heard preachers preach above their heads, and they didn't even know it. They don't even realize what they're doing. And a person in ministry can only bring the maturity that they have to the context that they possess. You can't lead anyone further than you've gone. You may be able to point the way, but you can't lead. So preachers and teachers have to be growing and impacted by the Word of God. This is why Paul said to Timothy that all may see your progress. The Word has to be personal. When Paul says you will save both yourself and your hearers, many have twisted this to mean that he's talking about eternal salvation. Uh, The Word of God is crystal clear uh, that salvation is by grace. Uh, So salvation is is not by preaching and teaching. Uh, Salvation is by the grace of God. Timothy was already saved, so saving yourself doesn't fit. Saving others, that doesn't even fit. Most of the people Timothy would be talking to were already uh, believers. Paul's using this in the same sense that he used it in Philippians 2.13, where he says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. Paul is talking about salvation in a temporal, maturing, deliverance, growth kind of sense. In other words, these are references to sanctification. Now, as I conclude, there are several things that I could take from the text. Uh, Many, really. But the bottom line is, I'm just going to select one. And that is, we need men and women, young men, and women in ministry. My last duty station was at Goodfellow Air Force Base in San Angelo, Texas, a real hidden gem in Texas that you can't accidentally get to. It's the largest city in the United States that's not on a highway, interstate. You have to, if you go to San Angelo, because that's where you wanted to go, Outside of San Angelo is uh, the historic uh, Fort Concho. And uh, Barb and I, and we would take people up there and we would go there. Wonderful, wonderful place. And for decades, men and women would, during certain seasons, they would go to the fort and they would uh, dress in period clothing. And they would live as if they were on a fort in, you know, 1870. And that's how they lived, and that's how they worked, and, and so forth. And I was talking to the, the person who was running this, a, a man who had a lot of years behind him. And I asked him about it, and he, he said, listen, you know, thanks for asking, but this is our last year to do this. And I said, Why? And he said, well, we've actually lost a couple of generations to volunteer service. Nobody wants to do it anymore. Nobody sees it as something that has 
value, not enough volunteers. And when you, you take that, that's a microcosm of what's actually happened over the entire country. People are pulling out, they're pulling out of life, and I don't have my phone, but they're pulling into that. They're disconnecting. They're, we're disconnecting from one another, and the church is not immune from this. We are not a generation or two from, you know, the universal church will march gloriously on in this world and into the next. Local bodies fail all the time. Why? In part, it's because leadership has not grown up. They've not thought it of value. Thank God we have many here. But I still want to put that out. It's a responsibility that we have to the church. Paul and Timothy remain these wonderful examples to us. And yet sometimes I do. I wonder who will be examples in the place of men like Paul Sauer. Because the truth is, we're all examples. That's not the issue. The issue is what kind of example are we? We are all pieces of art. The question is not are we a piece of art, but what kind of art? Speaking of a, a well-crafted life, Certainly unknown to my friend at the time, my friend Paul at the time, but these were the last words he ever spoke. As he concluded his message, he went to Psalm 31, and I'll just read the last verse that he read. Into your hands I commit my spirit, Deliver me, Lord, my faithful God. We have very little to say about the time of our death. Mostly nothing. But we have a great deal to say about how we live our lives. And may we all be examples of Christ-likeness on earth in our life and our death. Father, we are so deeply grateful that you have given life to us. Lord, that your spirit lives in us, that you've given us your word, that the only thing, especially as we, we, see, uh, we see the things of our society being shredded in like hyperspeed things that one would think would take generations are happening in weeks we um we thank you that regardless of that we can stand firmly and solidly on your word and we are deeply grateful through Christ our Lord. Amen.